Hey, thank you, McKinsey. That was awesome. I think this past week, um, I think this past week, India became the most populous nation on the earth, uh, which is, I, I can't even imagine, somehow in my head, I thought China would never get passed. Um, but uh, at least by the end of the month, for sure. And I don't know who's counting, actually, but um, those who are experts are uh, telling us that's the case. Hey, please come out next Sunday, 10 a.m. Um, you're smart enough to figure out if it's raining or not, right? <clears throat> yeah, I know. If it's not raining, Wald Park, which is on Highway 31, easy to find for those in this area. If it is raining, here. So if you don't, we'll send out emails and that kind of thing. But just in case, you, I think you can figure it out. But we're really hoping for out there. Um, Full Moon Barbecue is going to be uh, catering our, our, our meal. It's going to be great. Uh, it's going to be a, a great day. So wear your T-shirts. Have fun. 30 years. It's just unbelievable to me. I... I try to get my head around all that's happened in this place and what God has done, and it, it's, it's challenging to do. Um, I've talked about the immeasurably more of God's grace and goodness and plan, and you're it. You are the immeasurably more. Uh, Thirty-plus years ago, I could not have imagined you. Uh, in this place, or this place. November of 1990, Kathy and I came to Birmingham for the first time. I was, uh, I had come in view of a call. Any Baptists here? View of a call? Some of you are like, what? Uh, a view of a call, <laughs> that's church terms for a job interview. Um, you're just going to come, and um, they're going to interview you. You're going to do different stuff, and so I remember we had Jared, who was about three or four months old at the time. I got ready, put my suit on. Kathy was getting ready. We're staying at, well, I'd gone to breakfast because I was at the Embassy Suites down here. You know, <laughs> so the omelet bar down at the Embassy Suites, I had, I had done that. And that Sunday morning and uh, put on my suit. And um, Kathy's getting ready, so I'm holding Jared, and he throws up all over me. You know, you you know, three, four-month-old, they've nursed, they're ready to go, and then, so, and you know, I had one suit that I was wearing for this morning, so um, I went to church, to Vest Davy Hills Baptist, we'd had a whole weekend of activities and things going on, and, uh, uh, you know, I'm sitting there smelling like baby puke and uh, trying to figure out what's going on in church and everything that's happening, and honestly, this is the truth. I'm sitting there thinking, why in the heck am I here? You know, what am I, what, what am I, what am I doing here? Uh, I don't want to be on staff at a church. I don't want to move to Birmingham. Um, I don't want to uproot my family. I, I don't, God, what am I doing here? And um, I look and, and on the row in front of me, is this couple, and this man is reading a magazine. And I look at the magazine, and you're going to think I'm lying, but this is the God we serve. Here's the magazine he was reading. 
on the row in front of me was Larry and Jan Powell. Uh, and so I leaned over, and there's no way Larry could have known at the time that um, my dad was on the board of this magazine, um, that I had done some stuff, some work for this magazine. None of us knew uh, that one day this would be here. So I talked, I leaned over, started talking to Larry. I, I look back at that moment thinking, don't tell me we don't serve a God who knows immeasurably more than we can imagine. Larry and Jan and their family have been a part of fullness for 30 years. There would be no fullness without Larry, honestly, um, or Chris or John. Um, those who began this work 30 years ago, the couples that started it. And I am so, so ingre incredibly grateful for what God has done. And I recognize that it's God's grace. This is all a vision of God's grace. Um, it says, you know, I, I recognize too that in the words of John Newton that um, his grace has brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead us home. Grace got us here. Grace will move us forward. That's who we are as a church, believing in uh, the profound mystery of grace that God has blessed us with. It was about two years later, two and a half years later, that fullness started, 1993, and who would have known that we would have started a church with the name of that magazine? Now, you may have noticed we spelt it right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we jumped into the 20th and 21st century out of the King James spelling of fullness. Um, but God, God has been so good to us. And one of the things that he has done is um, showed us over and over and over again the immeasurably more power of his grace. Now, you may be here to today and you're, you've worshipped and you've liked the music and maybe you'll enjoy the sermon but here's what I, I, I'm crying out for today in God and all his mercy that you will see that we serve an unbelievable God. I mean, unbelievable in the measure of his grace, the immeasurably more that he gives us. You may be here today thinking, oh yeah, there's probably some God who kind of wound everything up or is doing stuff, but... I will, I, my prayer right now is that you will grasp hold of the truth that we serve a God who still speaks, who it still interacts with humanity, who is still present, and he is, if you'll let him, unleashing the immeasurably more of his power and grace in your life. And he will do it if we will but tap into what he's doing. And I speak this benediction over us every week about the immeasurably more grace of God. And I, I want to I preach that passage today. How do we get there? And how do we walk in that moment by moment, day by day? So turn to Ephesians 3, chapter 14. Uh, I'm gonna, it's going to be on your screen, but if there's a Bible in the seat back in front of you, you may have brought a Bible or what well, we didn't have 30 years ago, Bibles on our phones. Um, so just, but if you open your phone, dadgummit, Bible only. Do you hear me? 
Don't be trying to fool me like, oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, here's chapter 3, verse 14. I have five children. I know this game. <laughs> For this reason. All right, look up here. We're going to do this a little bit this morning. A little Bible study time. For this reason. Well, what reason? Well, to get to the reason, you have to go back to verse 1 of this chapter, where Paul starts by saying, for this reason. So then you got to go back to chapter 2. So here's what happens, chapters 1 and 2. God is unbelievable, and he's working in your life. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be open, that you can know the hope to which he has called you, the... Uh, um, the, the, the riches, glorious riches of your inheritance in the saints and this incomparably great power that is available to those of us who believe. I preached this last week, right? This incomparably great power. I pray that it'll be open to you, that you'll know this power. He goes on in chapter 2 and talks about this power that has raised you from the dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now you've been made alive in Christ Jesus. Now, he's not only made you alive, but he's, he's reunited Jews and Gentiles under the banner of the grace of God for this reason. And then he pauses in chapter 3, verse 1, and says, I don't think you really get it. For this reason, he goes, surely you've heard about this mystery, this incredible mystery that, that God has hidden for the ages, but now has been revealed. So for us, have you ever read a mystery book and um, you skip to the end and you know the end and then you go back and read the book? None of you ever do that, right? Um, so you, you, it kind of spoils the story, the buildup, the, the thing. Because we know the end, at times we don't really get how incredible this mystery was. Well, here's the mystery, that all humanity can be united under the banner of God's grace. Male, female, Jew, Gentile. Paul is saying this mystery was hidden for the ages, but now God has revealed it. How has he revealed it? Well, he's revealed it through the church. The church is, the church is God's diamond held up to the world so that the, the power of God can hit the diamond of the church in all its facets. The glory of God can be displayed to the world. The, the many who were out there are now one. That's us. We're the church. He talks about this in the first part of chapter 3. Then he comes back to for this reason, which entails 1, 2, and 3. All that I've just said. He's saying, for this reason. That you were dead and now you're alive. The church is the glory of God. The humanity is united under the banner of Jesus. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. It's a glorious statement that through God we have him and we are one. All a family, this derives its name because of what he's done through Jesus. He goes on and says, And I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you, here's this power word again, through, with power. How? Through his spirit in your inner being. 
So he prays that, that the power of the Spirit would be revealed in our inner beings. And goes on and says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power, again, together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is this love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Again, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power that comes from the love of Jesus Christ that you can only get if he shows it to you because it surpasses knowledge. Know what you can't know. In other words, know it deeply through the power of his revel revelation in our lives. So that you may be filled to the measure, here's our name again, of all the fullness of God. That's our prayer, that we would know the power of the Holy Spirit, the love of Jesus Christ, and that this church, this people, this place will be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. The power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the love of Christ, the power of the fullness of God in our lives. Paul just breaks out and prays, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Well, how's he going to do it? Then all we can ask or even imagine, I can imagine a lot, according to that power he's been talking about, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that instilled the early church with the, the mission of God's grace to the world, the same power that miraculous things happened and people got delivered, that same power is at work within us. To him be glory in the church, us, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I think I've spoken this benediction, I can't even know, I, I don't know how many hundreds, hundreds of times, every Sunday in this place. And it's why I speak it, because I'm still trying to get it. I'm personally still trying to walk in this immeasurably more grace that this is the kind of God we actually serve. Now, some of you may be here and like say, well, he's just a preacher. He's just blowing smoke. And maybe. But what if not? What if this is actually true? What if there is a God who actually wants to work actively in your life and lead you to the immeasurably more than all you can ask or even imagine? What if there's more to life than you just graduating from college, getting married, uh, having children, trying not to screw up your life or your children's lives or your grandchildren's lives or the people around you's lives so much and just try and walk through life with some modicum of grace. No wonder America is the most depressed nation on the earth. No wonder we, we short sight all of what God wants to do in our lives. No wonder we think that, oh, if we just have money, then we can be happy. Or if we just have um, a spouse, or if we just have kids, or if we can just get rid of these kids, or if I can just get another spouse, or whatever it is, we're always looking for something more to bring us happiness and satisfaction, and all it leads us to is greater depression. How do we tap into this? 
how do we tap into walking this immeasurably more? Now, let me say this. There is, there is a foundation here that if you're not walking in, you never will get this. If you're not walking in the foundation that Jesus Christ died for you and he's the Lord of your life and that your sins can be forgiven, then you'll never walk in the immeasurably more of God's grace. That's the foundation. But for those of us who do believe this, which I think is the vast, vast, vast majority in this place, how do we live a life of more than just going to church on Sunday morning? How do we live a life of continuing to walk in God's grace? So let me give you some, out, um, some, some truths on how this can be accomplished. The first way is, for, is to, sorry, I'm getting confused a little bit. Just hang with me. Look outward. Look outward. We, we have to stop only looking in the mirror for satisfaction and truth. We have, to, we have to look outward. We have to look to God and we have to hold out the hand of grace to those around us. Each of you should look not only to your own interests but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who existed in the very form of God, but did not regard equality with God, something to be grasped. But what did he do? He emptied himself. We'll come to that in just a moment. But we have to, we have to quit looking at ourselves all the time and begin to look outward. Paul also says in Galatians, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out. You'll be destroyed by each other. And, and I think what he's saying is biting and devouring people are self-centered and concerned only with themselves. That's all they care about. I'm going to get mine. And then if you don't give me mine, then I'm going I'm to take it from you. Do you ever feel like... Hey, do you ever wonder where all these Karens came from? <laughs> like all of a sudden, it just seems like these male and female Karens are everywhere. Now, were they here already and we just didn't see videos of them? And now they're on every YouTube channel all everywhere? Or is this continual rise of Karenism happening all over the place? Why? Because... Don't step on my lawn. When I was in high school, we moved to um, Miami, Florida. My dad was a pastor, and there was a parsonage. And across the street was a uh, Mr. and Mrs. Feldman lived across the street from us. My brother and I, we were always out playing catch, playing ball, playing soccer, playing something. Even in high school, I mean, we were always you know, doing something. Well, you know, the ball never stays in your own yard. It, it, it just travels, right? You can't catch everything. So occasionally it would go over to Mr. Feldman's yard. And I'd go over to get the ball and I'd hear Mr. Feldman, get out of my yard! He'd be yelling at me to get out of his yard. So I'd say, hey, Mr. Feldman. How's Mrs. Feldman? Everything good? Get out of my yard. I'm going to call the police. So Karen's, Mr. Feldman's, have been around for a long time. I'm not bragging about this, but maybe a little. 
Um, I won Mr. Feldman over. One day I went over and said, hey, Mr. Feldman, um, can I cut your grass? And he's like, I don't know. How much you want? I said, no, I'll, I'll cut your grass. I'll just do it for free this time. And then if you want to pay me in the future, you can pay me. But right now, I'm just going to cut your grass. And he said, wait a minute, let me get my cans. Well, this was new news to me. Cans, I didn't know what the cans were for. Anybody know? Mr. Feldman took him around and put a can, a Campbell's Soup can, over every sprinkler head in his yard so that I wouldn't run over him. I mowed Mr. Feldman's yard for the next three years. Um, never again did he yell at me or my brother about the ball going in the yard. Um, I'm not bragging on me, and it wasn't my idea. Honestly, it was my mom's idea. <laughs> you know, she said, if you want Mr. Feldman to keep yelling at you, give something away. Give something to him where he'll see you're not trying to take from him. You're not trying to hurt him. You're giving to him. And you know what? It's one of the most important lessons of my life that if I wanted to see stuff happen, learn to give it, learn to give away. Look outward in your life. It'll change your whole perspective. I've told this story many times, but I'm going to tell it again because my wife is the most wonderful person on the earth. Uh, she was basically in charge of the planning of the wedding. I was in charge of the music part of the wedding. I was really in charge of the honeymoon. That was my job, was to plan the honeymoon. So I, I, I planned, I paid for, I, we were going to this all-inclusive place in the Dominican Republic. Um, it was very nice. Um, you know, it was what we could afford, but at the same time, it was, it was nice. So um, we fly down there, we get there, we go into our um, hut, for lack of a better term. No air conditioning, um, a ceiling fan, some windows. Um, it's kind of like a Hawaiian tiki hut kind of thing. I don't know. And my, all my thoughts were, oh, my Lord, Kathy's going to be so disappointed in this place because it wasn't extravagant. Um, you know, you're in the tropics, right? You're in the Dominican Republic. And I, I'm thinking, do you know? You know what Kathy did that was incredible and boosted our marriage? Never once, all she said on this trip was, this is the greatest trip. This place is great. This hut is great. Um, you know, those bugs flying in here, they're great. Uh, everything about this is great. If, if she had complained, honestly, I think it would have destroyed me. I mean, it would have really put something in between. And she looked outward. She didn't care that much about just herself. Now, I, inside, I know, you know, 30 years down the road, I'm like, there's a lot to complain about. Do you know there is not one, I'm preaching way too long in this point, but it's good, right? There is not one, there is not one place the spiritual gift of complaining is mentioned. Not one. Do you know why? 
because criticism just naturally arises from you. You don't have to be supernaturally empowered to be a critic. You can find it everywhere. Instead, if you want to walk in the immeasurably more power and grace of God, get over yourself. Get outside yourself. Look outward to what can I do to help others. Second point is this, and I'll move quicker through these next 10 points. Um, no, I got a couple. Sorry, just panicked a little. What? Second is this pursue excellence. Pursue excellence. Whatever you, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Whatever you do, it says in Colossians, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Now, let me say this. I, I believe, this may be my own kind of looking at this passage and looking at stuff, but I believe that God, God is looking for a people who will give him everything and do the best that they can, pursuing the best that they can. Now, excellence in and of itself can become an idol. Let me say it again. Excellence in and of itself can become an idol. You're not just trying to be excellent to be excellent. You're doing it how? Under the Lord. You're doing what you do under the Lord. So when you go to work tomorrow, if you want to walk in the immeasurably more power of God in your life at your work, do your best. Do the best you can. This is not like some 21st century American idealism. I think there's a biblical truth here that God is calling us to do the best we can do. Paul says in Ephesians 4, and by the way, we're going to look at this passage in two weeks. He says, from him, Jesus, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love. How? As each part does its work. Who, who, who are the each parts? Well, you'll see. You're the each parts. I'm the each parts. And we each, we build, we see the body of Christ build up. Things come together. Ligaments connect as each part does its part to the best that it can. So here's where I think the immeasurably more is not uh, grasped in the church, it's this. I go to church for what I can get out of it. Hello? Is that not the American thing? We're so consumer-driven that we think, I'm going to go to church for what I can get out of it. So if we want to build a big church, what do we need to build? A big party. I need to build something that will have people satisfied when they leave, so they go and tell their friends, come to the big party. Now, I'm not criticizing any other church in our city or that I've ever heard of in my entire life. I'm just saying this is the natural inclination of mankind. I want to build it bigger. What does it need to be built bigger? In a pragmatic standpoint, I'll build it bigger by doing something that satisfies that American consumerism thirst. If I want to build up the body of Christ, then what I say is, my job is to teach you to minister the gospel of grace, and it's your part to do your part to the best that you can. 
Because if, if that happens, then the body of Christ will grow and be built up. But we've got to be good at what we do. David, at one point, did something really bad. Some things happened. Lots of people died. But he goes to a place where the death stopped. And he says, I want to I offer God a sacrifice to say thank you, God, for not killing any more of us. Um, for your grace, really. And he goes to this place and says, hey, I want to offer a sacrifice. And the guy goes, okay, well, just take the place. And he goes, no, I'm not going to. I want to buy it from you. The guy goes, oh, you're the king. You're the king. I, I just take it. I, I give it to you. And David goes, I am not going to offer a sacrifice to the Lord that costs me nothing. When did we get to the nothing attitude in church? Where we just say, I just want to receive, but I don't want to give anything. If you want to walk in the immeasurably more, learn to live sacrificially. Very few of us actually live sacrificially anymore. And we need to know that um, we need to walk in it. But, but for us to live sacrificially, we have to understand that the message of the cross, it's stupid to those who are perishing to us who are being saved, this is where you walk in the immeasurably more power of God, the cross of Christ. But it's not just Christ's cross. I think it's us taking up our cross daily and following him. If we want to walk in this immeasurably more, then we need to learn to live sacrificially. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Uh, I'm this is just so good. I, I, this is hard for me. It is hard for me to live sacrificially. Why? Because I'm just like you. I just want to, I like my comforts. I like things being done for me. I like it, it feeds something inside of me. But the problem is that it, it, it's then all me. And it's not you or God or the kingdom when that happens. It's all about me. And that if I want to walk in this immeasurably more power of God, then at some point I have to give, give my life away. Live sacrificially. One day a little boy is going to go to a church meeting and his mom packs him a lunch and he heads off to the church meeting and he gets there and the church meeting just keeps going. It lasts for stinking ever. Kind of like today, May. Uh, it just keeps going on and on and on and on. Finally somebody says, hey, this meeting has gone on so long. Did anybody bring any food? This little boy with his little sack lunch, saying, there, well, I've got mine. And the person is saying, hey, give me, if you've got any food, give it to us. 
The teacher is asking for it. And the little boy might be sitting there thinking, I don't want to give up my lunch so the teacher can eat. I'll I'll go hungry. You've already projected ahead of me. You know the story where Jesus is teaching thousands. The disciples come and say, hey, Jesus, these people are hungry. We got to send them home. And he's like, is there any food? And they canvas, and well, there's, there's a boy. He's got some bread and some fishes. Well, bring it to me. Now, see, we've skipped the boy part. How did they know he had some bread and fishes? He told somebody. Did they just go and tie the boy down and beat him up and take his lunch? Doesn't seem like very Christ-like, does it? No, he had to, he had to give it. He had to sacrificially give. And when did, of course, you know the story. Jesus takes the loaves and the, and the fishes and breaks it and feeds 5,000 people with this little boy's lunch. That immeasurably more started with a little boy living sacrificially and said, I'll give mine for the kingdom of God. I'll give mine because Jesus asked for it. I'll give it away. And I'm talking, we're talking immeasurably more. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. I don't think we really ever will walk in the immeasurably more power of God until we learn to live sacrificially. Now, for you, it may look different than me, but... Learn to live sacrificially. And then we, when that happens, we'll see that God is able to do things we can't even ask or imagine. I, I think it was a year or two ago, Dave Malik preached a sermon where he talked about the shortest um, short story. And it's been attributed to Hemingway. I'm not really sure. This is kind of the shortest short story ever written for sale. Baby shoes never worn. There's so many gaps and holes and things you can fill in. Have you all heard of chat GPT? (laughs) Anybody? Well, um, Google has their own coming out called BARD, B-A-R-D, not BART, but BARD, B-A-R-D. I saw a report on 60 Minutes the other night where the reporter Scott Pelley, he put in this line to BARD and asked for this artificial intelligence, AI, to write a short story based on this one prompt. Within four seconds, the computer had given him an entire story, and one of the lines from the story says this, the shoes were a gift from my wife, but we never had a baby. Exactly. Emotion. Feeling from this AI, which doesn't have any emotion or feeling. But it had generated a story based on all the literature it had read about this event. Then Scott Pelley said, now turn it into a poem. Four seconds later, turned into a poem with the last line saying, she knew her baby's soul would always be alive. 
I'm starting to get worried at this point, um, personally, thinking man can imagine a lot. Man can create a lot. Man has the, the, the rate of change in our lives is so remarkable, can we even keep up? The president of Google, CEO, not president, Sundar Pichai said this, this is going to impact every product across every company, and so that's why I think it's a very, very profound technology, really. What an understatement. He should have let the bard write his lines. Um, <laughs> and he goes, and so we are just in the very early days. What I'm trying to say is this, we as humanity can think up a lot to do. By the way, here's the thing that scared me. There's a thing in BARD or these AIs that's called emergent technology. Do you know what that is? Anybody? Okay, I'm going to teach you. Uh, emergent technology is this, where the computer, the AI, starts to figure out things on its own. So they had, um, um, they had given it, I think, just the motto of Bangladesh, Bengali is the language, and they'd given it just the motto or something. They came back the next day, and um, this computer had figured out the entire language based on one line that had been given and was translating books from Bengali into English. And they, they're like, how did that happen? We don't know. They just figured it out. Why? Because it never sleeps, it never slumbers, it just keeps pounding away. Now, I'm, I'm not really scared because I still think my God is greater. Um, I'm not that worried in the sense of God's got a plan. What I'm saying is mankind can think up a lot. We're very creative. Um, you know, do you know about the James Webb Telescope? James Webb Telescope launched two years ago, now sits about a million miles from Earth. Um, taking pictures of the stars. Uh, you may think all I ever watch is 60 Minutes, which is probably true, but another 60 Minutes report um, was interviewing these astronomers who were saying it's just been amazing that anywhere we point the James Webb Telescope, there's no empty sky. It's all stars everywhere. They have reevaluated, and astronomers, these astronomers are saying, we believe that we know maybe 4% of what there's to know about the universe. I'm like, well, if you don't know 100%, how do you know you only know 4%? That don't make no sense to me, but we'll go with that. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is there is immeasurably more out there that God wants us to walk in. Mankind may be very creative and doing so many great things, but you serve a God who can do more than you can even ask or imagine. We can imagine a lot, like we only know 4%, but God knows more. How? We can do this by trusting God. You need to know that your limited resources are limitless in God's hands. You may say, look, I don't, I don't have much. You know what? You're right. You've got a couple of breads and a couple of fishes. But in God's hands, these limited resources can become limitless. Why? 
because God is able. God is able. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more are all that we can ask or even imagine. How? According to his power. He can do it. If you'll give it to him, he can take it and use it because he can, he can do that. He knows no limits. God is not limited by space. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? You know, when, when you see the James Webb telescope and it's pointed to the stars, some people start to say, you know, that's just the whole Big Bang, God. To me, it's like, oh my, a hundred billion planets and God still looks at me. It just the vastness makes me more believe in God, not less. The glory, his glory fills the stars. It fills the skies. If we'll just look, God knows no limits. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. God lacks no wisdom. He lacks no space. He, he lacks no power. With man, things are not possible, but nothing is impossible for God. If we will tap into it, how? Look outward. Quit looking for the answer inside yourself and instead look to God. Pursue excellence. Do the best you can with, with, with what he's given you. Live sacrificially. Give your lives away. Trust him because you don't have to worry about living, about giving big gifts to God. Just be faithful in the little things. Whatever he calls you to, give that to him. Offer everything you have to God because he owns it all anyway. That's a whole lesson on stewardship I'll save for another day. It's the whole foundation of stewardship, which is God owns it all. It's his anyway. Give it back to him and he'll multiply it over and over again. Thanks. I am. He is able. You know, every, not everybody may feel the same way. God is, I mean, look at the passage that we just, um, TV, you got to get some control over there, friend. Um, <laughs> yeah, good luck. I know that feeling, Dad. Um, he's able to do, he's able to do more than we can. He's able to do what we ask. He's able to do more than what we can ask or think. He's able to do it all. He's able to do more. He's not only able to do more, he's able to do immeasurably more. I mean, people, again, what, doesn't this change your life in some sense? Doesn't it make you say, I can do more? Look, if you're here and you're thinking, I'm too young, I, don't, I, I really... Who's going to listen to me? Boy, loaves and fishes. He gave what he had. Give what you have. You may be here and saying, I, I, I'm too old. Look, there's a, there's a lot of Bible stories about people too old who changed everything. Look at Simeon or Anna. Just go down the list. And everyone in between. God can take your little and make it much if you're willing. Stand up with me if you would. Here's what I'd like for you to do. I would like for you to just...